0: And welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Raslin.
1: I'm David Daw.
0: And we are continuing the 1934 nominees this year to figure out, as we do in every year's nominees, if the Academy chose correctly. This week's movie was what is it called? One Night of Love.
1: God, I literally opened up the Wikipedia page because I watched it yesterday and I already forgot.
0: One Night of Love. That is what it's called.
1: God, this movie.
0: For no discernible reason.
1: It, yeah. God, no. I hadn't even considered how little sense the title makes.
0: It sort of feels like they, they just like drew titles for romances out of a hat. And then they're like, yeah, just just name it that. That's fine. That'll work.
1: Yeah, it does feel like there was like a one-night movie titled Draft, (laughs) and One Night of Love definitely lost to It Happened One Night.
0: In so many ways. Like, literally, It Lost to It because It Happened One Night wins. At a certain point, I was watching this movie, and when Giulio Carminati is yelling at Grace Moore, which is most of the movie, my husband, Sean... Just started yelling, stop ballin', stop Uh, like, and it happened one night.
1: It's, God, yeah, except, like, there's at least something...
0: Except that they were playing at that, like, they were putting that on and it happened one night, and in this, like, he's actually just yelling at her.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Also, it made me realize that while... 30% of the movies that were nominated in this year feature Claudette Colbert. There are not enough movies in this year with Claudette Colbert.
1: Yeah, I don't think she could have saved this one, but she definitely could have at least tried. Let's get through the non-existent-
0: Oh, she could could not have saved it. But she could have made me watch it and not- Yeah, let's- Well, we'll get into it. About why Claudette Colbert- Could have made this movie better.
1: (laughs) Let's get through the non-existent plot so I can get to how much I hate this movie, which is all (laughs) in the details. An aspiring opera singer moves to Italy and gets discovered by, is he a composer or is he just like a guy that trains opera singers?
0: I think he's just a vocal coach.
1: He's just a vocal coach named Giulio Monteverdi. And then Monteverdi is a terrible, abusive asshole dick who does nothing to teach her goddamn <laughs> anything, just puts her through worthless vocal exercises, and then, uh obviously, of course, then she falls in love with him. And then the movie com- continually justifies what an asshole he is to her by having her be basically a literal child whenever they interact. <laughs> and then... Um, at the end, they finally get over their non-existent issues of misunderstandings that honestly would annoy me more if I was at all invested in their relationship <laughs> and didn't want both of them to die long enough to get together at her first performance of Mad- Madame Butterfly at the Met. End of film. I hate this movie so much. <laughs>
0: I yeah I mean I I hate it too but I'm I'm really excited to talk about it because I had a lot of I had a lot of thoughts with this movie
1: I hate this movie from minute 1 when they have lip sync of the opera singing and it's just slightly off and also where I swear to God Mary Barrett doesn't open her mouth mouth wide enough for the high notes because she wants to look attractive and that also infuriates me. she she makes this tiny little O sound when she's hitting a, like O mouth when she's hitting a high C and I'm like, you can't hit a high C when you're doing that.
0: What's amazing to me is that Grace Moore was actually an opera singer and it's like did did the director not say like yeah sing the aria like obviously we're going to do ADR for this but like just sing it while we shoot
1: it seems like they recorded it first and then did that music video thing where they would like play it back and j- they were lip syncing to it
0: i i think absolutely not because i you know it would have lined up you could have rehearsed with it <sighs>
1: Yeah, I guess. I. It's infuriating. I, like, literally had to stop looking at the screen during musical numbers because I was losing my mind.
0: And that's just minute one.
1: Yeah, that's minute one. Then we get to what passes for plot. There's this weird-ass thing where her character is in this, like, become-a-famous-opera-singer contest for literally the first minute and a half of the film, and then just fails for no reason like it it seems like the prize is to go study with monteverdi right yeah then it doesn't seem like he gets a new student out of it it just seems like he just goes no one and everyone at the contest is like okay but then also weirdly god i'm now actually thinking about this film and it makes me even angrier.
0: Yeah. Because he
1: hears her singing on the radio, and is like momentarily intrigued, but like not enough to do anything about it. But then later, when he randomly hears her sing at the restaurant in Vienna,
0: in Milan. Oh, no,
1: they're not in 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 Milan.
0: In Milan, which is was built on a soundstage in California to look exactly like Venice. Yeah. (laughs) I like Milan and Venice do not look anything alike.
1: She's also wearing like a beer garden outfit in the Italian restaurant she works at, which is another thing that was very strange to me.
0: Oh, I thought it was just like general European uh,
1: waitress was there. Sure, but it like it looks like the Ricola girl and not like... (laughs) She's working at an Italian and like it's over the top in Italian restaurant like Monteverdi's friend, the piano player comes in with him and is like, I want spaghetti and rigatoni and every Italian word the writer knows.
0: Which was really <laughs> amazing because it was right after this scene where Monteverde and his previous pupil Lolly, are like lounging in a gondola because again, this movie thinks Milan is Venice. And they're playing that, like, da 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 song, which the only lyrics to that I know, I don't know if there even are lyrics, are from Tidy Tunes, How I Spent My Summer Vacation, which was absolutely robbed in the 1992 Oscars, by the way, for Best Picture. It wasn't even nominated, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I'm sure was a technicality in that it was direct-to-video.
1: Spoilers. We're gonna get to it. Sure.
0: But that movie is great. And Babs Bunny at a certain point in that movie, like they've been on the road or whatever, and they haven't eaten in a while. And they're on a raft that they've made. And she's like pulling it with a stick. And she sings that song. But all the words that she sings are Italian food words. <laughs> So I started singing it along and then I had to go back and rewatch the scene because I had completely missed what was actually happening. And then the very next scene is like, here's a giant bowl of spaghetti where a guy is like lifting the pasta out of the bowl that is the size of like a timpani.
1: One, what I loved about that Tiny Toons story is I too shared the urge to talk about anything but this film. I desperately want to talk about just... (laughs)
0: I have so many things to talk about other than this film. It's
1: Yeah, I, um, but the thing I wanted to say about that scene in The Weird Italian Restaurant is Monteverdi hears her sing and is like, I immediately knew from the moment I heard you, you had a once in a generation voice. And it's like, well, then you already heard her, bro. <laughs> what the fuck happened the first time?
0: <laughs> uh. Yes.
1: Also, can we talk about how the Baxter in this movie is like the best guy ever?
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And I don't know what Grace Moore's fucking problem is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we are definitely going to get to that. So yeah, so he takes her on as a student. And the very first thing that he tells her is like, we absolutely cannot fall in love. There will be no romance here. (laughs) And I'm like, hmm, this seems like A, projecting the whole fucking plot. But B, you're a dick. No one is going to fall in love with you. You're an asshole. Though, of course, she does somehow. And then, like, his training for her is to make her do core exercises. Yeah. For a year and not sing. And I'm like, I don't know, like, where the writers got this at all. But that's like, yeah, core exercises are quite good for singers. That's true. But if you don't sing, you lose your fucking voice.
1: Yeah, no, that's like fucking Shaolin monk training. Like that doesn't (laughs) like that's bullshit that doesn't happen in real life. Like, yes, you do vocal exercises that aren't, strictly speaking, singing, but you don't not sing. It's insane. For a
0: year. For a year, he says this.
1: Also, how does he like, in whatever. I was going to go into a whole thing about like how he enforces it, but that implies that there's any kind of reality to this film whatsoever.
0: And apparently they go about this for years. He's like, now that you have done fucking crunches for a year, (laughs) we can go on a tour of provincial opera houses. And literally uses the word provincial. And then somehow they end up in Vienna, and he's just been, like, an absolute abusive monster. Like, if the way that this movie wants us to believe this has played out, he has controlled her entire life and essentially kept her as a prisoner.
1: Yeah, it's crazy that she's, like... Then so madly in love with him that she flies into a jealous rage and wants to give up all of opera because he meets another woman.
0: It's not even that he meets her. It's that, I mean, this is his like old pupil and they run into each other.
1: Right. That like, that's what I'm saying is that like, it's not even like he gets back together with her. It's that like, he's gonna meet with her. Yeah. Like she loses her mind and Mm -hmm. like- Acts like a child, which infuriates me even more because this terrible, abusive asshole calls her out on it. And it's like, you don't get to say that to her, you dick. You literally just (laughs) stuck her with a pin. You hurt her. You're an asshole. That's
0: true. So she pretends to have laryngitis and like the maid comes and is like, oh, you know, Senora Monteverde, she, she has laryngitis, but we'd heard her talking before and she was fine. And he's like, give me a pin. Because sometimes, something to the effect of like, sometimes you just have to show women yeah. that you know better than they do or something. So he stabs her with uh, a pin so she screams. And obviously she doesn't have laryngitis.
1: Also, she falls for that so easily and is so like shocked that like, oh no, my clever ploy. And it's like, that's so, ugh, she's so stupid. Every single time they're in a battle of wills, she's an idiot. And that infuriates me because it means that in the universe of the film, he's right and he's an abusive asshole.
0: He's right that she behaves like a child. He's not right in the way that he treats her. I also want to mention that one of the first things that he says to her before they end up in Vienna and all of this happens, uh, when he hears her sing, is, I always wanted to see a Carmen who weighed less than a bull. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. We're just fat shaming for no fucking reason. And then the movie progresses and I'm like, oh, no, we're fat shaming because this guy... ...is a monster. Yeah. The way that he treats her, I imagine that she probably wasn't allowed to eat anything that he didn't approve. Or, like, I don't know, sleep longer than he thought was necessary.
1: Don't they explicitly say that he has complete control over her diet? I think there's, like, a whole scene about, like, she tries to order a cocktail or something, and he, like... tells her no like forbids her from ordering something that she wants to eat or drink
0: so yeah she thinking that julia uh julio has gone off to like hook up with lolly who by the way is like i didn't really see anything wrong with lolly she seems pretty okay and he's like oh she's terrible she's a she's a piece of shit and like she can't sing anymore and she's a washed up old hag and it's like mm, i'm pretty sure she's like gorgeous and 30
1: he's definitely gonna do that exact thing to grace Moore, like uh, uh, like a year after the end of this film
0: oh yeah totally totally so he goes off to to see lolly and so grace Moore's character whose name is mary goes to see like kind of her ex-boyfriend. Like they were really good friends. And then she got involved with Monteverde.
1: It's well, it's even weirder than that. Because there's this part at the beginning where she's poor. And she has this friend
0: because they ran away to
1: Italy, right? She has this female friend that's there to like bounce stuff off of until Monteverde shows up who then just never fucking shows up after this opening sequence. Who's like, why don't you hook up with Bill Houston? He's got money. And she's like, I would never, never in a million years. And you're like, oh boy, this guy's going to be a real shit. He's the nicest guy in the world. The most patient man in the world. He's so lovely. Puts up with her fucking backing out of their engagement three times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's... uh. Lyle Talbot, who plays bill houston was also just a generally really good guy and he was one of the founding members of the screen actors guild so he like unionized screen actors which is kind of amazing and apparently paid a pretty hefty professional price for it that was not an intentional alliteration but i'm really proud of myself where, like, he he just stopped being, like, a movie star, but he was in tons of television and, like, bit parts forever. He also was known to never turn down a role, which is why he is in Plan 9 from Outer Space and Glen or Glenda.
1: First of all, you should definitely put Plan 9 from Outer Space above this on your resume. <laughs> like, for sure. <laughs>
0: I've watched Plan 9 from Out- Outer Space, and it is a it is a bad movie. Like there is no question, it is a bad movie. It is so much more entertaining than this. I film.
1: would, yeah, I would. I have watched Plan 9 from Outer Space as well, and I would watch it again in an instant over watching this movie again. Yep. Uh, he's so ridiculously a nice guy. It's the other thing is that. <laughs> Just like everything, he's like, well, okay. like just no matter what it is, let's get married. All right. I'm going to quit opera forever. okay? I'm going to run back to the opera house. That's fine with me. I'm going to like go and hook up with my abusive vocal coach. Well, I don't like it, but I respect it. I'll be moving back to New York. (laughs) I'm going to New York with you. I'm over him. All right, would you like to share a cabin on the boat? Never, but you're paying. Okay. Like, just anything she says. (laughs) And she is so, like, I could never love you. Is her just, like, consistent reaction to him whenever it's brought up that, like, maybe she should be dating this rich not asshole instead.
0: Who's like handsome and tall and really thoughtful.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, way better looking than Monteverdi. Way better looking.
0: I don't know what he does for a living, but it's not literally abuse women. <laughs>
1: as near as I can tell, have money. That's what he does for a living. Yeah. <laughs> literally all anybody says for him, says about him is just like, he's rich, you know. And it's like, great let's do this thing what's the fucking problem
0: what is mary's backstory you know like did she have a really abusive dad and like she doesn't understand love that isn't presented as domineering and controlling
1: no because you meet her parents remember at the very beginning
0: but only very briefly and it's like you know what what's going on there They do seem very supportive and are like, fine, you want to quit everything and run away to Italy? We support you and love you.
1: It seems like this thing where like, I think it's that they're too provincial. I think the Monteverdi thing is it's this very specific kind of cultured that is just being an asshole that she's like super duper into and believes is the only way to be cultured. And the thing that frustrates me so much is that the movie seems to agree with that assessment
0: yeah yeah if you're an abusive asshole but you have an accent mm-hmm. then you're not provincial so it's attractive i guess
1: that like being cultured is having very loud opinions on how nothing is good enough which is bullshit
0: <laughs> everything is garbage <sighs> Tullio carminati's accent and this is really confusing to me because the guy is actually italian but he has this, like, melange of French, Viennese, Italian, like, just over-the-top, absurd, nothing European accent.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. I just... All the energy went out of me from how much I hate this movie. Yeah. No, his accent's terrible. <laughs> the weird sequence at the beginning where she's in her apartment complex of uh, whole musician's. And does an aria so good, everyone gives her food. And then they all sing another... It's terrible. Everything in this movie is... The recordings themselves, the actual, like, arias, are fine. They're fine.
0: Yeah, they're, they're totally fine. She has a... Her timbre is clear. She hits the notes. They're fine. But I really want to get into her performance of Carmen that happens here. So... Uh, oh, yeah. After she tells... Bill that she's going to quit opera forever. They're going to have so much fun. Monteverde like somehow tracks her down and is like, oh, well, fine. No problem. We'll just put Lolly on stage in your place.
1: And it's like it never occurred to her there might be an understudy. Yet another moment in like This woman is an idiot child. Apparently, she does need somebody following her around and telling her what to do every moment of every day, because just thoughts don't occur to her outside of singing opera.
0: Well, also, like, has she been in a rehearsal? Yeah, it's like- (laughs) Like, has Mary been in a rehearsal that, like, not has the understudy been in a rehearsal, but literally, like, have they rehearsed this?
1: She seems to be under the impression they're just gonna cancel opera forever. Because she quit.
0: (laughs) I quit opera. So opera is over. (laughs) Uh. So they do this performance of Carmen because she's so jealous of Lolly that she's like, well, if you're gonna if it's gonna be her, then I'm gonna do it. And the scene that they show is her doing habanera, which I'll like drop a little I'll drop a little bit of it in. So you know the song I'm talking about. now that that's done nailed it not of me singing it that was not me singing it just to be clear (laughs) can it be um no it cannot be
1: damn it okay
0: It'd be really funny though if I tried to do Albiner. Okay. Anyway, if you've never seen Carmen, it's like definitely a a great opera. Go see it. And like, I'm not a I'm a fan of opera as like songs, but I'm not a fan of watching an opera because it's like three fucking hours of shit happening that could happen in an hour and a half.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's why you go to the Met and they have those really big sets and you go, holy shit, that's a very large wall. And then you stare at the large wall for the 45 minute scene that could conceivably be 12.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Or in the case of Lucia de Lamaura, where the entire first act is essentially people asking what time it is. Carmen mm-hmm. is not like that. Carmen is great. It is short. It is tight. There's violence and sex and it's just fucking rad. And Habanera... Carmen is like the song is her saying basically that if you love her and she loves you back then you should watch yourself. That's the rough translation. It's a sexy number and it's dangerous and it has to be performed that way and I don't mean just vocally I mean like it has to be acted that way or it's embarrassing. Grace Moore's performance of Habanera Looks like if someone asked Betsy DeVos to act seductive.
1: Yeah, I'm. I kind of want to blame the Haze Code for it, but it is.
0: No, there's no way! Because last week, and this is why Claudette Colbert would have made this movie at least better, she would have slinked around and, like, seductified the shit out of that song. And they could have dubbed in somebody else singing it for her.
1: To me, it's just like, well, then why even fucking do that number? If you're just doing Shut Up and Play the Hits of Opera History, then why fucking do this one that you, like, can't do correctly? (laughs) Like, that you can't stage correctly for film, but, like... Again, maybe that's just giving Grace more too much credit, and she just does a really bad job.
0: There is no way that that's that's Hayes' code restrictions, because we've seen plenty of vamps
1: already. Right, but they're, like, this is... We specifically said last week they're, like, ramping it up. That, like, suddenly they're enforcing it.
0: Except that it looks like she's trying. (laughs) That's that's what I take issue with is it's not that it's not um it's not that it's buttoned up it's that it's so awkward and so bad and like it is like a seven-year-old's idea of what being seductive is Except that this is a full grown woman performing it.
1: It's also that was far after the point where whenever there was a musical number, I was like, ah, what are the costumes like? What's going on at the edge of the frame? Don't look at her mouth. Never look at her mouth or you will lose your mind.
0: Well, you missed literally the worst performance of Habanera that has ever been committed to film.
1: It was definitely like, oh, nothing is happening. This is boring, is what I got. She's not moving around enough. She's not doing any, like, she's not doing anything, was my main read on Habanera, like not looking at her facial expressions.
0: Oh, she, she was moving incredibly awkwardly. Did you watch Betsy DeVos's, like, Senate confirmation hearing? No,
1: I effectively have just stopped watching any video news because all Trump administration officials enraged me. And all of them look like they are hideous space aliens wearing a, like, bank robber Nixon mask of their own face. <laughs> and so I just don't want to see their weird rubber mask move around. And so I just read what happened.
0: This was, like, right after the inauguration. And Sean was, like, he had C-SPAN on 24 hours a day. And he watched everyone's confirmation hearing and Betsy DeVos was so out of her element and so like she was just drowning and they're asking her questions about education and the woman she doesn't know anything about it you know and watching this habanero was like watching Betsy DeVos's senate confirmation hearing it was just someone who had never had any experience in the thing that they were suddenly called on to do and were flailing But they smiled through the whole thing, at least.
1: Yeah, it's...
0: I'm specifically talking about this
1: number. No, 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 I get that. It's mostly just like, I then started trying to formulate this theory of like, maybe they're... But no, the movie... One, the movie isn't smart enough for this thing. And two, it sends real mixed messages. So it's pointless if they were trying to do this thing where, like, after she does this performance, the guy from the Met is, like, bowled over and is like, we have to have you at the Met. And Monteverdi, because he's an asshole, is like, she's not ready. But then, because this movie fucking lets him get away with everything he's right because when she goes to the met she's not ready and she freaks out
0: in rehearsal
1: yeah and on the night of the performance
0: well because apparently they've never had a rehearsal before if the (laughs) whole mess with carmen is any indication
1: (laughs) right and like there is a thing where like that performance of carmen is theoretically a like really technically adept, but you don't actually know how to perform anything performance of of Carmen, which, like, is kind of where she's supposed to be at career wise. But also, I don't think the movie is smart enough to do that on purpose.
0: No, because his reaction is supposed to be like, oh, my God, she's she's such a natural. She's so amazing. We have to get her to the Metropolitan. And there is no way. Yeah. And then... On opening night of her stuff at the Metropolitan, we have another moment of random fat shaming from audience members. Right. Where this guy's like, you know, this woman says, you can't fool me. Opera singers have to be Italian. And her date replies, and they're very fat. Ha ha. I wrote this down because I wanted to remember it verbatim. And then after that, I wrote in all caps. Fuck this movie.
1: (laughs) Literally everything that happens once she goes to New York is like, yep, checks out. Fuck this movie. Like the part where he's there opening night. She's thrilled. Fuck this movie. The weird (laughs) like third tier servant comes in with a like, uh, what do they call those things? The little arch specifically for weddings.
0: Oh, oh, I know what you mean. Like the thing that they put like the bridal bower or something is that a thing
1: yeah that like carries that in the side door and is like i'm just making sure this time and i'm like yep that's what they think a joke is fuck this movie like just every like every individual incident for the last 15 minutes of the film i'm like yeah had to have that in there so that i couldn't just go away and stop watching this film
0: I completely missed the part, though, where he confesses to her that he loves her and he's been in love with her since the first time that he ever saw her. Because that happens before she goes to New York.
1: Yeah, no, I remember that because it's the thing that he's yelling, like, to try and get out of the fact that Lolly is there. Right. It's so easy to skip over it as the huge confession of love character turn, because there's no character turn. It's just the the thing a guy is yelling while a woman is walking out on him, and there's no sense of, like, actual emotional anything. <laughs> there's no sense in the monologue of this coming from the heart. It's clearly coming from desperation that she's leaving.
0: It's totally of a piece with his abusive, manipulative, controlling...
1: Neither of these characters change in any way to, like, make their love a reality at the end of the film. It's just, like, act three, so they're in love now. End of film, so they get together and get married. Like, there's no development of either character in any way, at any point, to justify this relationship. There, It's just, like... There was that scene where he said they're not going to fall in love. So now they have to fall in love. And that's the whole rest of the movie. And good luck.
0: Except they never have even a single moment of tenderness. No. And comparing this against It Happened One Night, where there is a lot of like back and forth where uh, Clark Gable is like angry with her or yells at her or is like kind of mean to her, which I felt like was uncomfortable. But they did have moments of tenderness and they did have moments of connection and times where they were on equal footing or times where she had more status than he had. Yeah. And in this, it's just an asshole abusing a woman that he, I guess, thinks he can use to, like, further his reputation as a great vocal coach so he can then abuse more women.
1: Uh, In It Happened One Night, there are turns. He, like, his feelings for her develop. They change over time. He has different reactions to her at different points in the film. The biggest change in Monteverdi's character is that after the two of them are in love, he still tells her to fuck off and she's doing a terrible job and she needs to train harder and then leaves the room and goes, I'm going to cook her a nice dinner. That's how they're in love now. (laughs) And it's fucking infuri- God, I hate this movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's really terrible, guys. It's really bad. It's really, really bad.
1: Here's the thing. At least it's not- Well, I mean- at least it's not terribly racist toward African Americans. Uh,
0: who is it racist toward? I mean, she she does do a performance of Madame Butterfly in, like, a full yellow face at the end.
1: Right, that's not great.
0: Which, sadly, is a thing that people still do, like, at the Met today.
1: But there's also a- just, we've been talking about this movie's understanding of- Italy as, uh, Europe? <laughs> yeah. All parts of Europe, interchangeably? Um, which is, I mean, like, not horrible racism, but I did feel like I couldn't go, like, this movie isn't racist, at least. It's like, this movie doesn't have blackface, at least, is really, I guess, what I'm saying.
0: I mean, if racism is ignorance of a, like, a, a whole ethnic identity, and not necessarily, like, virulent or, oppressive then yeah i would say that it is like
1: yeah i mean i think it is a milder racism than like we have seen in other films but i do think like it's not super great to just have like three italian stereotypes and like that's it for italy yeah um and also to have them be sort of deeply confused and not make any sense
0: right right this movie feels like it was written by an 11 year old
1: this movie feels like it wasn't
0: I suddenly like this movie better if it was written by an 11 year old who is like, heard of Italy and like, had pasta.
1: This movie feels like it wasn't written. This movie feels like they hired Grace Moore to do a bunch of musical numbers and then were like, oh fuck, it's gotta be a movie. And then, like, we're, we're just very quickly, hastily trying to figure out a plot that let her do musical numbers. Because the, the framing around the musical numbers before she meets Monteverdi is from, like, this completely different, like, rags to riches struggling artist movie that just gets completely thrown out the fucking window. And then, like, the Act 3 romance stuff just comes out of nowhere. Like, there's no development of that at any point. It just hits the major Act 3 plot beats of a romantic comedy.
0: Well, except that it's not funny. Like, I have that same thought of, like, it's hitting the plot beats of a romantic comedy, but it really hits the plot beats of a romance.
1: No, this movie thinks it's fucking hilarious. This movie thinks... When
0: is it ever funny? This
1: movie thinks the bit with the landlady is so funny. This movie thinks all of Monteverdi's Boma are the cleverest Boma in human history. This movie thinks... Also, they have to be fat! Ha! Is a huge <laughs> laugh line for the audience. This movie thinks it's a comedy, and that's yet another way this movie can go fuck itself. <laughs>
0: Does Monteverde have Beaumont? Bon I just felt like he just said really abusive shit to her all the time.
1: That's what this movie thinks funny bon Ma are, is him being abusive toward her. Because he's right, though. <laughs> Women be crazy. Like, it's... I hate it so much.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. It is certainly by far the single most sexist movie that we have watched. And, like, not just... Oh, gender roles are are problematic, but like it is actively hateful and misogynistic.
1: Oh yeah, no, this movie hates women.
0: In a dangerous way.
1: And not like even of its time. Like I mean, sure, of its time like just like men need to be in charge, but like even beyond of its time, this movie hates women. <laughs> This movie, like, thinks of women as obstacles to essentially all parts of human endeavor.
0: And unlike the really misogynistic Ernst Lubitsch films, it doesn't even view women as being, like, mentally equal or even close adversaries it's like women are all baby children and spare the rod and spoil the child
1: women are objects that get uppity sometimes
0: (laughs) and you have to stab them with pins
1: yeah god i hate this film should we rate this horrible film because i'm trying to figure out like how to not like i
0: it's a one it's a one There's no fucking way that anything of like, oh, well, but Grace Moore can carry a tune and has a pretty voice overcomes how abhorrent this film is. I
1: guess my question is, do I hate this movie more than I hate Here Comes the Navy?
0: (laughs) Oh, I absolutely do. Absolutely. Because even though Here Comes the Navy was like a reprehensible representation of the Navy... And super authoritarian, and was like, yeah, it's totally fine if people in positions of power abuse that power. It wasn't literally just an hour and a half of watching some one person abuse one other person.
1: That's fair. Yeah.
0: And Jimmy Cagney is like, you know, there were a couple of things that he did that were funny in that movie. Blackface not included.
1: Yeah, I don't recall any of them, but I'm sure that they're... Jimmy Cagney is more charming than Eddie. Carmen... Anyone
0: in this yeah, movie. Yeah, anyone in other this than, movie. Other than Lyle Talbot.
1: Yeah, who, like, fair.
0: Good on him. He went on to have a long and, if not illustrious, at least a long career. He worked a lot. He founded the, the Screen Actors Guild, which is a good thing for for them.
1: Yeah, I screw it. One.
0: And Grace Moore died in a plane crash at 48. So
1: yeah, I one. This is this is the new in old Arizona. This is our new touchstone for like, well, at least it's not this.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm not gonna bring an old Arizona up from a one because all of the things wrong with it still stand. Mm-hmm. But if somebody asked me, You know that game when you're a kid that you play of, like, which would you rather do? Like, slide down a razor blade into a pool of alcohol or, like, eat poop or whatever?
1: Yeah. Would you rather? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If somebody did that to me with In Old Arizona and One Night of Love and was like, but you actually have to (sighs) rewatch the one, I would absolutely pick In Old Arizona because at the very least, it's... I'm pretty sure it's shorter.
1: <laughs> it's shorter, and it, there's also, a. having watched it once, I feel like it's much more easily like MST3K-able. Like, there's so much empty time in there to just riff on how terrible the movie is. And, oh like, yeah,
0: like, like the 30-second shot of a clock ticking.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's just long stretches where like nothing happens and you can just kind of go like, everyone's outfits suck. Whereas in this, there's just constantly a new irritation.
0: Yeah. And I'm not an oyster. So like, yeah, I'm not an oyster. And therefore this episode is not a pearl.
1: Yeah. uh, Watch this movie. No.
0: No, absolutely. Under no circumstances watch this movie at all. Watch anything else Lyle Talbot was in. Yeah. I hope that his kids are still getting residuals.
1: Maybe listen to Grace Moore? No, just what cuz she was she's racist. So just watch a um just go watch a good production of Carmen. Somebody's probably doing a good production of Carmen near you. It's a pretty popular opera. You know, usually It's one of the major opera houses is doing it every season. Uh, Just go, go see a production of Carmen. Don't watch this movie.
0: Yeah. Or like, you know, when the Met does their thing where they screen live performances in movie theaters, go see that. Yeah. That's good. But yeah, Grace Moore, since you mentioned it, Joe Laurie Jr., who is a vaudeville performer and historian, said that Grace Moore would not perform on vaudeville bills that had black performers. So like... Fuck her.
1: Yeah. She also doesn't... Like, all the anecdotes from this movie are like, she seems like a real treat.
0: (laughs) For instance...
1: Yeah, she couldn't hit the high notes and the Madam Butterfly number that she does at the end of the film and tried to blame the orchestra and freaked out and tried to march off and had to be told that she was going to be paying for the orchestra if she didn't come back before she came back to perform the song.
0: I also love the music director's response to that when uh, the studio boss was like, hey, so, uh, so what's going on? What's wrong with the orchestra? And he said... There's nothing wrong with the orchestra. These are the original Puccini orchestrations. Yep. Which is like, well, you, okay, can't really argue with that. And, like, I absolutely will always take with a grain of salt any story about, like, a woman being difficult to work with. But I'm totally going to believe someone who says, like, yeah, she wouldn't perform with black performers. And then I'm going to be like, yeah, she was difficult, actually. And a racist. <sighs> next, so next week. week. We're going to watch a movie called The Barretts of Wimple Street.
1: It's the Elizabeth Barrett Browning story with our old friend Frederick March.
0: And Norma Shearer.
1: And Charles Lawton. It's a real cavalcade of people who I don't think were in cavalcade, (laughs) but were in other films that we watched.
0: And we know that Frederick March and Norma Shearer have... Really great chemistry. Yeah. Though he does kiss super weird.
1: We can now test my theory that that was a weird direction issue because no one would ever kiss like that ever uh, under unless under duress. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but are, are they going to kiss in the Elizabeth Barrett Browning story? That's a fair... Will there even be that?
1: kissing. I feel like once at the very end of the movie. <laughs>
0: When they get married, I I assume that there has to be a wedding in here. Oh,
1: the film closes with a brief scene of Elizabeth and Robert's marriage.
0: All right, great.
1: This is the longest plot summary we have ever had for a screen test of time movie. It's extremely long. In the grand scheme of things, like a Marshall chases a bandit in old Arizona versus like, I don't know, 800 words, I would say maybe? (laughs) Eh, Maybe not that much, but like over 500 almost 10 paragraphs really going at it.
0: yeah, I mean maybe it'll maybe it'll be good. I I can say with confidence that it will probably be better than either One Night of Love or in Old Arizona.
1: <sighs> yeah, I that that feels likely to me. It
0: will be better than the two worst movies i've ever seen
1: <laughs> is that true of me i i'm not i'm not questioning you
0: and i appreciate that you clarified particularly after like how much we talked about men being terrible in this oh, or th- a man <laughs> being terrible to a woman
1: yeah i Actually, Susan, you said you've seen Plan 9 from a- No. I really I was just thinking about how I saw Battlefield Earth and what, what walked out of it. I think this movie is worse than Battlefield Earth. So
0: I haven't seen Battlefield Earth.
1: I did once see a movie in high school called Bloodsucking Freaks when Alex Walker.
0: Oh, I've seen I've seen that. Uh I bl- it, It's pretty it's pretty bad. It's
1: pretty terrible. That may <laughs> be worse than this film, but it's close. It's a real close-run thing.
0: I mean, I saw Blood Sucking Freaks in the context of, like, watching it with ten other people in college, so it was hilarious.
1: I- we rented it- no, didn't rent it, bought it at, like, a terrible video store when we were trying to watch terrible movies, and it was so terrible we buried it, and then it- (laughs) Didn't desi- it just washed up after the next rainstorm, and we were like, that seems right. This seems like a, a horrible curse that will follow us forever. Anyway, still probably slightly better than One Night of Love. <laughs> then after that, we get to watch a Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers movie, which is solid, and then another Claudette Colbert movie, and then Flirtation Walk, which I don't know how to feel about basically any part of yeah, and then we'll finally be done with this, I think the most nominations there ever are for the Academy Award,
0: yeah, I th- it's what twelve, And we can't watch one of them. yeah, because one of them is in is it a similar situation to some other ones we haven't been able to watch where there's like a really dangerously degraded copy of it that only exists at UCLA called the White Parade. Which is not actually uh, a movie about the Ku Klux Klan, but is uh, apparently the story of Florence Nightingale.
1: Yup. Also, I'm wrong. Next year also has twelve movies.
0: All right. Woo.
1: We're not getting through the 30s until like 2020. <laughs> And then, we, then it starts going real fast, is the crazy thing.
0: Just gonna start zipping along.
1: Yeah, we're gonna start doing, like, basically a year, a month. Sweet. Yeah.
0: And maybe the movies will get better, because they only nominated five instead of twelve.
1: I mean, yeah, I, God, I one can only hope.
0: The,
1: <laughs> the end of... Of the podcast. Oh, God, Susan, Uh, I hate this movie. Well,
0: everyone, until next week, this movie does... You won't hear our catchphrase, because this movie doesn't get it.
1: No, here's the thing. This was a movie. Look that in the eye. Think about what you've done, entire medium of film. This was a movie. This was. Good good night, everybody. (laughs) Good night. Good night. Hey guys, it's me, David, coming to you from the Podcast Closet. Uh, To say that, we forgot to remind you to subscribe to us on iTunes, or, you know, your podcasting app of choice. Uh, Not only does that mean you'll get fresh episodes of Screen Test of Time right as we release them, it'll also help out our metrics, which is still a weird thing to have to say. Uh, While you're there, if you could also like us, maybe even write up a quick positive review, that helps out with the mysterious black box process Apple uses to promote podcasts. Guys, I'm starting to think maybe the internet was a bad idea. Please like and subscribe.